Hey, fellow cycling fam, before the episode starts, I just want to let you know how beautiful you are and how amazing you are and you are doing great things and to keep up the good work. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Dao, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling podcast with your host, Sylvie Dew. And we have my friend, Gregory Pang, coming to us from Edmonton. He is a lawyer And uh, before we get into the intro for bringing Greg out is we're just going to acknowledge that today is September 30th, and it's also a new national day in Canada to recognize the Aboriginal lives that were lost in the residential schools. And so that is why we are wearing orange. Um, Yep, Every Child Matters. And it's called National Day of Truth and Recognition. So we would just want to acknowledge that before we get into the podcast. And um, just because this happens to be the day that we are chatting. So with regards to Greg, um, I know Greg. uh, It's been uh, over 10 years since I've seen him physically, I think, since since he used to be in Ottawa. Uh, his wife, Maria, was part of my women's cycling club, Cycle Fit Chicks, and we raced together in my women's master's team. And Greg was one of our sponsors for our club because he is a trademark lawyer. Um, and he also does other business and entertainment law. So he helped our cycling club with trademarking our I guess, the club and the name. And so with regards to what other things and Greg's background is that, so he's also a cyclist and that's what I just love about, you know, cyclists and business and, you know, just the different aspects of, you know, think people who are out there that do different things. Um, So before Greg's uh, law career, and I just found that out, he used to work in film and television for five years. So hence the entertainment law portion in various roles from being a locations PA to being a business coordinator in marketing and distribution. Uh, Gregory takes on his clients matter seriously. He believes in having fun with the law by running panels and mock trials in Calgary and Edmonton. I guess he's, he's a funny guy Um, in comic expos like and also participating in nerd night which maybe we'll have, we'll have to talk about that i think Sounds good. and also greg has a podcast um which is called legal cut pro entertainment law podcast so if you're into law and entertainment this might be something that you might want to check but all of that will be in the show notes and Thank you, Greg, for coming out. He used to be really heavy into Twitter, which is where I used to follow him. <laughs> I'm not going to say <laughs> he's not there so much anymore. But welcome, Greg. I'm so excited to have you here. Pleasure to be here, Sylvie. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh my God, I'm so excited that you came out here. So let's before we get into it. I always love to ask, like, how did you get into cycling, and then you know, like, how the law kind of Let's give us a background on you. Absolutely, Sylvie. Uh, thank you for that wonderful in- introduction. I'd say with cycling, it takes me way back to when I was just cycling to, to school when I was doing my undergrad. And this was over 20 years ago. 
and I remember cycling, 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 and then I had my, it had a beater of a bike, right? Like a Sears bike that my parents bought me. I would ride it in the winter too. Okay. So I'd ride this bike in the winter and it just got beaten up and beaten up and beaten up, you know, with all the crap on the road and stuff. And I would bring it into this local bike shop that was close to university and say, hey, can you fix this part? It's not shifting or whatever was happening. And then, they, so they take the little Sears bike and it's like, then they explained to me, look, people who usually ride these kinds of bikes, they take it out like twice in the summer and then they put it away. They don't ride it like you do. You need a real bike. <laughs> <laughs> so Here, so, let me show you our warehouse of our showroom of bikes. <laughs> essentially, yes. So that's where I bought my first bike. I dropped, I, I think back then it was at, yeah, $800. I <laughs> bought myself my first Brody uh, cross-country mountain bike. And I, and I rode it just for commuting at first. And then I, and then eventually I tried trail riding and that's how it began essentially as a re, quote unquote real cyclist. Uh, I began trail riding, upgraded the bike. I put a suspension fork. I remember it was a Judy XC, a RockShox Judy XC suspension fork. I put on it. It's like, well, this, this is really good. I could really yeah. ride over these routes and not be like oh, the whole time. <laughs> and th thus the adventure began in cycling and shortly after i tried racing uh and uh and then just late much later on after meeting maria and actually through uh, after seeing her race with the, you guys I, I got myself a road bike and i started road riding and uh and on and on and i'm still riding today not nearly as much as i used to but i'm still doing some riding in fact i did my first cyclocross race just a couple weekends ago Ooh, whoa Yes, well, it is the season for cyclocross. That's right. I, I just saw the, the calendar and actually it's going to happen here this year. It's been canceled, obviously, for the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, cyclocross is fun, isn't it? Yeah, you, you know, I, I, uh, I liked it. But I have to say, Sylvie, I, before last, so this was two weekends ago, um, I had not raced for 10 years. Okay. So, and I had You're, not. You sound been... like me. <laughs> Let's just go out and do something epic for our first race. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So I not, had not raced in 10 years. I've not even been training. You know, it's just like casual, you know, cross-country trail riding in the summer and then commuting every day to work. And the commute is pretty short, right? So I wouldn't count it as, you know, any kind of like, you know, repetitions or anything like that. You go down the but, valley, up the valley in Edmonton? Well, not even. It's, it's pretty flat <laughs> from where we are. It's all flat to, to downtown uh, is where I work. It's only like maybe 15 minutes. So it, it's really easy. And as you do it every day, your, your muscles get used to it and you get more efficient. At it, so it's, you're not really getting a workout anymore. Faster, I, I faster. Say, oh, yeah, I, I suppose so. Like the sprint, like two blocks before you have to stop again and, and start over again. Right. <laughs> so, so I say I count myself as I'm in pretty decent shape for my age. You know, at 43, I'm in pretty decent shape. In comparison to other 43-year-old males, I'm in pretty decent shape. Uh, if you exclude professional athletes, <laughs> yeah. of course. So this <laughs> cyclocross race, people. yeah, yes. So this cyclocross race I did, I thought I'd just do it on a whim. Maria actually clued me into it. She follows the Alberta Cycling Instagram account. She's like, "Hey, there's this race going on. Didn't you want to race? You have you have a cyclocross bike. You've never used it for cyclocross before." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I guess so." So <laughs> thanks, Maria. Yeah, I'm gonna sign you up. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, that's what happened, and. So I show up, uh, I didn't even have like safety pins with me for, for my numbers. Oh. So, so they're like, you don't, you didn't bring your own pins. What? Have you never done this before? I'm like, no. <laughs> so, so some guy there just gave me his Ruthless, pins. right? He was racing an expert and I was racing a novice, right? So, so I pinned these things on, get my single day cycling license and I do the race. I swear, Sylvie, I felt like my lungs were going to explode. My legs were burning like I don't remember them. And again, it's been 10 years since I've raced and never done cyclocross before. I have to report, though, good news is I was not DFL. I was not dead effing last, okay? So I did, I, I count that as a win in my heart, even though I was racing oh, yeah. against a 25-year-old and I was maybe 12th or 13th place. And at the end, you'll be proud of me, Sylvie. It's like I was on my last lap and approaching maybe 500 meters to the finish. And I, and I start, and I saw, I was catching up to this one guy. So catching up, catching up, catching up. And I eventually caught up to him about 200 meters left. I grabbed onto his wheel and then I, I made my move. I did my attack and, and did a sprint finish with him. 
and I Ooh. threw my bike and I managed to oh, you a wheel length at the end for a 13th place finish. Oh, awesome. <laughs> in, in the novice field, you know? <laughs> well, hey, but that means that you are going to have to move up a category now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, okay. How did you navigate the the barricades? Oh, they, they weren't bad. I mean, there was only one uh, set of barricades. Um, oh, that's and, good. And, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm pretty, I, I wasn't, so one thing I, I learned that I had to pull back from my experience is to not go out too hard, right? Because I knew, okay, I'm not in the shape I was when I was 33. Uh, I'm 43 now and I have not been training. So I, I conserve my energy and the, the barricades, man, they were right above the, one of the hardest climbs in the in the course and they put it like almost right after so you are you're you're just like (gasps) from from climbing that uh that last uh, you know ascent there then you have to get off you know dismount and so i i did the barricades fine so that that wasn't the 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 issue it's just a matter just to conserve my energy make sure i have enough in the tank for a good finish in that last lap and i can report that yes i did not uh miss you know smart smart racing yeah so (laughs) so yeah so it, it was in the end, it was a lot of fun. How long did it take you to recover? Well, it wasn't too bad, actually. I thought my I'd be really sore, but I, I wasn't actually really sore. Uh, it was just at the end, I just had to, you know, take some time, take a breath. But I, it was funny, the guy that I sprinted to the finish, that guy collapsed on the ground afterward, right? <laughs> like, hey, yeah, good sprint, buddy. And it's like, he's like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, no, I think okay. I'm going to do this again. Yeah. yeah you I, sound no, like no. me. <laughs> no absolutely the only thing is like here the cycling calendar for uh, for cross uh it's like this traveling circuit and maybe i'm just Uh-oh. not looking at the right calendar but it was like okay so this is the one in edmonton and then there's ones in canmore calgary and rocky mountain house oh so my gosh races, i have to go travel i'm like you know what i'm not gonna you know right now we have we have the worst covid numbers in all of canada here right so like uh you know i don't i don't think i'll be traveling for this and uh that's far. Like, yeah. there's nothing local that, like, would say, like, the... There were, but a couple of them got cancelled because of the, the skyrocketing numbers um, with, with COVID, unfortunately. So, uh, like, the only other races I see on the calendar are, I have to go, like I said, travel to Calgary or Canmore. Calgary's all open, aren't they? <laughs> uh, not anymore. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I've got to touch base my sister. So... So, all right. I'm glad to hear that you're back to racing now. Where did because where did your law jump in? Because when I met you, honestly, like Greg was amazing. So, if there's anybody in here from Canada who's looking to get trademarked or trademark anything, you talk to Greg because he actually used he sponsored our club and in his sponsorship he that was part, you know, he did the work and we had to pay the bill, but, um, he was exceptional. So how did you decide that that was your avenue of, well, actually go back to your, your entertainment, like back to the film, um, working in film and TV. Is that where you decided to become a lawyer in that area? Like take us back there. Yeah. I suppose my uh, first part of my career or my first career in film was just because I always have been fascinated with the film industry. So I, I wanted to work in the industry and I worked in, as per my bio, I worked as a, a production assistant and various roles on set in production offices and in, in a distribution office uh, for about five years. I always just liked the industry and it was always really fun to talk about it because there it's a very small niche, you know, field of work and it's fun to tell stories about it. Right. I went to law school because essentially I wasn't, I didn't find that I was really progressing much. And I found like there is a certain ceiling in terms of how much money you can make and stuff like that. And I just wanted more satisfaction in the career. So it was really not much more other than just thinking that and you know, writing the LSAT and applying to law schools and going to the one law school that, it would, that would accept me. So 
but uh, luckily I, I kept my connections throughout that time with film industry, my film industry contacts in Alberta. And I was fortunately able to reconnect with them upon coming back and then start kind of breaking my way in to uh, legal services to the film industry here, which is, it's a much smaller industry here than say in Toronto or in Vancouver. So there aren't as many entertainment lawyers here. So it's, it's been nice to be able to carve out that niche practice uh, where I could say, yes, I am one of the three or four entertainment lawyers in all of Edmonton who deal with in this kind of this area of practice. Very cool. Now you, can you practice in the United States or is that a whole different uh, can of worms down there? Like is it a different education or a different certification or? No, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, what it is, is that you are licensed in each jurisdiction. And in Canada, I am I, I surrendered my Ontario license when I moved back to Alberta. So I'm licensed in Alberta, but we have, without getting into the weeds, we have interprovincial mobility agreements because most of Canada, except for except for Quebec, uh, we we are we have fairly love similar, Quebec. <laughs> we have fairly similar laws. Although I did yeah. I did a lot of work in Quebec when when I uh, actually I lived and worked uh, there for quite some time. But in the United States, it's it is quite different. Uh, but it but similar to Canada, where you each state is its own jurisdiction. You have to be licensed in each individual state. So if I wanted to go practice in California, then I would have to write the California bar to to be licensed there uh, in, in New York or or what have you, right? So and the other thing is that not all jurisdictions in the state recognize the Canadian law degree. So. Yeah, so uh, I think there's like four of them that do that recognize Canadian law degree. So you don't have to get a, a, a JD from an American law school to be able to write the bar. And I think California and New York are two of those two of those states. I might be might be wrong. I might have to uh, verify that that uh, they will recognize the Canadian law degree, so you can write the bar there. Oh, very cool. But I don't suppose you have American clients. They're all Canadian. no. No, I, but I deal with American parties though, but my clients themselves are, uh, are mostly Canadian, but we do, I do have clients who have deals with like, like say us studios and stuff like that. So I'm not a stranger to dealing with us lawyers and, and it's, it's all, it's always a lot of fun. Like, um, I can't name the client, but, uh, we have, I have a deal and option agreement that I negotiated with, uh, Blumhouse. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but they do a lot of the the, the horror films like uh, oh. uh, Out, I remember that one. They, I think it won a couple Oscars or something or, or Golden Globes. So th they're the studio behind that, uh, Blumhouse. And I have another deal that uh, we are negotiating right now uh, for with them. No, they're not. They're not a big studio, but they're uh, there's this other party located in New York, and they have a California lawyer. So we're in touch with them right now. So I deal with a lot of. I, I, although I can't practice. American entertainment law. Uh, I am familiar and uh, deal a lot of times with American parties on the other side of the metaphorical table. Are they because they film in Canada that they would use your services? Because a lot of you American uh, films or companies are coming over to Canada to, to do a lot of filming because it's cheaper. Or yeah, they were. Uh sometimes that but more, more of the times like I have say a um, a concept here that's owned by a Canadian uh, a Canadian company or a Canadian uh, person an artist and they want to sell it they want to come to some kind of deal with for example Blumhouse uh, this big studio well big compared to us but um, compared to big American studios they're pretty small the studio in the US that they want to say option the the concept to be able to produce it at some point right and they want to option it buy that option from my Canadian client and so that that's usually more of the typical uh, uh, type of relationship that I uh, that I deal with rather than the service productions um, although th those would be pretty lucrative if I can get more into those uh, as well. <laughs> hey just putting it out to the universe great <laughs> yeah. looking for some more lucrative, <laughs> lucrative uh, projects um all right so and now talk about um so your industry and then you went to law and then and 
you're working in the trademark area. Mm-hmm. Now, does that cross over into, because I don't know if we were a unique client of yours in the cycling industry or cycling and cycling, but do you work with some, because you mentioned that uh, you had some clients in with in the cycling area. Yeah, and it's, it's mainly been... Uh, and you, yeah, CycleFit was uh, sort of unique because I, I think they are so far the only cycling club, like like you know, race club that I have done uh, work for. But I have done uh, work for other types of cycling organizations. Some of this is public record, and I can mention those clients. One of them is you know from Ottawa. I, I used to volunteer. At, uh, we talked before we ben- began recording about uh, Recycles, which they're a local. Okay. Okay. Use bike shop, and I did some work for them, and I registered one of their trademarks as well. And I have a small handful of uh, cycling, like local, local bike shop businesses, who I have done some you know trademark work and other business corporate and corporate work for. And just recently, I onboarded a new client. They're a manufacturer of uh, very niche components for. Uh, bicycles. I can't name the mm-hmm. name it yet because they, they are. Not, this is not public record. But we are right now negotiating a deal with a former Olympian to uh, do some work with the with this uh, manufacturer. So th- this is a, that's a very interesting one. Is that most recent? I can't say. I, saw... <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe I might know who you're talking about. Because I don't know if it's because um, I just saw some uh, ex-Olympians. Well, ex-Olympians meaning the ones that just participated in the Tokyo Olympics uh, post and um, advertise a new business. And I was just like, actually, I was trying to figure out what kind of the new business was. But I was just looked at it quickly. I was like, oh, you know, a um, couple of the girls that I know. But uh, that's super cool. So where's your, um, so tell us a little bit more about your, the business. Because I know that for us, and if there's anybody here who has a cycling club, we trademarked ourselves, gosh, what, we're 13 years, probably like eight years ago, um, to, you know, our club, our club name, if, you know, we can have apparel with our names on it and things like that. So uh, just thinking about future, if you have a club, it might be ideal to, you know, trademark the the brand and the company if you want to grow it in the future. And Greg is a great person to talk to. So do you have, um, let's talk about your your business right now and what's going on with the with that on the trademark side uh, so a- absolutely what what you mentioned uh, that's definitely one of the things i i do for for businesses and and you know, potentially for more uh, c- cycling clubs uh the one of the conversations i'll need to have with a potential client about that is uh about like okay is it will it be worth it for you right so you remember the, the the filing fees like there's these government fees uh, that uh, that 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 you paid, um, and is it worth those government fees to be able to get that registered trademark? What does this registered trademark mean for you, right? And there are advantages to doing it, especially if you're going to be selling a lot of apparel, if you're going to be growing the brand more, and you potentially generate more revenue from the the brand itself and from selling apparel and other accessories and stuff like that with the the brand name or logo on it. And uh, that that could be worth it, right? But not all instances I'd say is is worth it. I mean, we had a, uh, like you mentioned, a sponsorship deal um, where I I think uh, if if I can mention it, like I think you you guys paid out of pocket, the out of pocket costs and then, you know, the rest, uh, I I charge nothing for my fees, right? So- Yeah, and I can only imagine how much it, how much your time went into that because like I didn't see that that part of it right because we paid the I think it was the government government bill for it yeah 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 so uh and and then and then you know under that kind of arrangement it could be it could be very much worth it right because the government fees back then weren't that much uh now (laughs) they have increased by by you know depending on the type of application they haven't they have at least changed and it could be more now right because uh 
you know, it's been a number of years and there have been changes to the legislation. So uh, I'd say it's, it's not a uh, for sure for every instance of a club that uh, one that their name itself in itself could be registered. I have to give an opinion on that. And two, whether depending on what you're doing with the name, it could be a good idea. And we'd have to have a frank conversation about that and, uh, and whether it'd be worth it or not. I mean, if you just have, if the club just has a pile of money that they need to spend and they want to throw it towards lawyer to get a trademark, I'll take that too, right? But I'd like to definitely talk about, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not one to just, to just sell filings. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'd like to actually talk about to the client, is this in your interest and how does this align with your business goals or, or the business side of the club goals and is it worth it? Yeah, because we, um, I, th I often think about that apparel because uh, I think cycling clothes, apart from jerseys and like, I mean, post-ride clothing wear for women would be super cool to add. But, you know, it's like one of those things. We're non-for-profit and, you know, it takes a body to get that rolling and, you know, uh, online sales and things like that. But I like the fact that we have the that in our back pocket if we are to want to, um, to do that. So, I mean, if I think if a club, what do you think about this, Greg? Like if a club's been around for a long time, is it worth it? It, it could be. And it, here is where I talk, talk, I like to talk about with the club. Okay. So if the club has been along around, okay. If the hypothetical here is that club has been around for a long time and what else are they doing with their brand? I think that's what would be would be my first question. What else are you, is it just the name of the club, or are you like those are great ideas you're talking about like after cycling clothing branded after cycling clothing that you could sell and uh, especially at you know once races in a in a normal non pandemic you start picking up again you get crowds and stuff like that and let's say the uh, like you're able to set up you know, tents or stuff like that to sell your, your wares, you know, clothing and other stuff, branded clothing, uh, then, then that could be, you know, in, in the long run, that could be worth it, especially for a club that has a, a long history and reputation with, with the, the community, the city or, or what, or, or the, uh, yeah, the, the, um, the, the cycling community. So uh, th th those are the first questions I would ask is like, okay, you've been around a long time, but what else are you doing with the brand or what else do you plan to do with your brand? And sometimes it, it could, it's possible that you might be branching off. Maybe there's the not-for-profit, for example, you know, Cycle Fit Chicks. There's a not-for-profit cycling club. And then maybe there's a, a whole line of other stuff that you want, a line of business that you want to, uh, you know, spin it off into that could be a profit-making uh, business or something like that, right? So then now we're talking a little, something a little more complicated that the, the maybe the not-for-profit will own the, the, the mark, and then it will license it to the business arm or, or something like that. Um, so, th so we have to really talk about okay, what what is the what is the business case for this? Uh, and uh, because not for profits, of course, you know, I, I know you have a limited budget. You want to spend your budget, you want to spend your resources effectively, uh, and for the interest of the club. And then we'll talk about is this in the interest of the club. Hey, 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 let's take a mini break because I have to tell you about this unique online cycling coaching program that's going to blow your mind. This is your fast and easy way to become a better and stronger cyclist by joining an online 16-week cycling training program geared towards improving cycling skills. My name is Sylvie Dao, your podcast host and Level 3 National Cycling Performance Coach. I have been coaching this unique 16-week program every winter since 2006. Why did I create this unique 16-week program? Winters were harsh and still are here in the region. No one likes or liked to work out alone in their basements until the world of online cycling really took off last year during COVID, which has been a game changer for cyclists worldwide. So why would you sign up to a 16-week online road cycling training skills program when you could be riding inside? Well, here's the thing. There's this little known thing called the four key pedal strokes. Hardly anyone is talking about, but when you learn and use them, 
you will see a huge difference in your cycling performance, not to mention improve, impressing your friends and yourself. First, why are you training on a trainer this winter anyways? What are your goals? Do you want to get faster? Could it be moving from 18 kilometers an hour to 20 kilometers an hour? Do you want to win that sprint? Are you looking to get stronger on the hills? Do you want to now be the first to the top, not the last? Is it your endurance-based building? Do you want to move into a faster ride group? Or maybe you're looking at getting into racing. Whatever the goals, they require specific skills that need to be taught and practiced in order to improve. I've coached over 500 cyclists in this program with a reported 5 to 20% increase in cycling fitness over the 16 weeks. Here are a couple of reasons that this program might be for you. You're still frustrated with climbing hills and keeping up with the pack. You like structure and scheduled training sessions. You like to train in your cycling zones. Your heart rate is all over the place. Possibly you want to optimize gear changing and learn a little bit more about that to become more efficient. You would like coaching feedback on technique and form. Joining a cycling skills program like the 16 week program can provide more benefits that will help drastically improve your cycling fitness through focused training in your heart rate zones, hill climbing, speed, endurance, while building up fitness through the 16 weeks of periodized winter and strength training program. Go to 16wkroadcycling.ca that's 16wkroadcycling.ca for all the details and to join today. The program starts in December. Now, back to our episode. Sounds like an interesting thing. So using like the club as an umbrella and then you can branch off to different um, departments, I guess you could say, like avenues. Hmm. That's just like think about what I want to do because <laughs> I know because we branched off into uh, event organizing, mm-hmm. you know, so we have an event and I like to grow on that. And then, you know, there's always like the clothing line, then like, you know, what else could we add? I mean, that's the question I'm asking myself right now. How can we grow um, our club to be more of a community thing? But so talk about more of the things that you're doing right now. Like you, there's, um, there's a mention that, um, you brand yourself. So talk about your podcast. Sure. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> Absolutely. How long you've been doing your podcast? I think like a year and a half. And, and I laugh because okay. we haven't done a recording in like eight months uh, because my, and my Greg, and, I think it's time yeah, to know. get on that. I know. I know. Myself, uh, so the podcast, uh, as you mentioned, is called Legal Cut Pro. And the topic of the podcast, broadly or generally speaking, is about entertainment law. Uh, we, we provide, we talk about things like, okay, music licensing, we talk about, um, you know, location releases, or talk about distribution agreements, stuff like that, that would be of interest to Canadian independent film and television producers. And I say we because I, it's myself and my co-host uh, Michelle Molyneux who is also a lawyer and she's an actor as well so she, she's been she's an old she's not old but she, she's a veteran of the of the industry and uh, but right now she's doing her her LLM and I've been just myself I've been just super super busy so we, that's why we haven't recorded in so long but we, we should really get on that <laughs> but I yeah, think the, so you can do a little 10 minute segment hey I just heard a here's a really funny story <laughs> That, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I, sh- I should, I should definitely be more on that. But it's just hey, you, know, you can use this right? segment as your launch back into, hey, perhaps, I'm absolutely, back. yeah, <laughs> perhaps, and yeah. So that's the essentially the long and short of it. And the, the podcast is available on uh, you know Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most major podcast catchers. So. If any of your audience has any kind of interest in that, uh, you know, we, we try to have some fun. I think that would be kind of cool. I'd have to get that uh, link and we'll we'll add it into the course, uh, into, of course, into the show notes so everybody can go and access it. So also just learning more about Greg when it comes to like trademarking and cycling, 
Now, is there anything else that of interest that's going on in your life that uh, you can share with us in Edmonton? Ah, uh, not right now. Not without going into the the, the dark political and uh, the the health uh, situation oh, here. Yeah, right. So we'll we'll stick to the happy stuff right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, happy stuff. <laughs> Well, um, not not really a whole much, uh, a whole lot else. I mean, the practice is very busy, and uh, the the cycling is taking a bit of a backseat. I'm so glad that I have my. I'm trying to get my son, uh, Luca, who you met uh, off pod. Uh, and, my and, gosh, and you, he's grown up. Did you meet him as a baby? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, a little 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 tiny guy, right? <laughs> so uh, I remember. Yeah, you came to our pre-baby party as well. <laughs> or maybe a going away party like because no, no 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 it was a pre-baby party it was a like a not a baby shower party where we just had a had a party. <laughs> the baby's already here yeah no 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 this is you were pregnant as well i remember yeah so how old is he nine. Oh yeah so i would have been pregnant with lucas yeah, <laughs> yeah i've got the lucas you've got the luca well, I remember because when you when you gave uh, I, I remember this one part of the the night when you gave Maria a hug and you're like, oh, bump baby bumps or something. Ah, that yeah, effect, right? that's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's nine years ago. So that's probably like the last, well, almost maybe the last time I saw you. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, pr pretty much, right? Um, and yeah, so I, I, we're getting him into. I'm trying to get him into more into cycling, although uh, as you know, for our pre-podcast discussion, he's getting more into swimming than anything else. But, you know, he's a, he's a, so far he's, he's learning, he's slowly learning a little bit about trail riding. I got him a nice uh, specialized uh, hot rock uh, 24 with 24 inch wheels. And uh, I'm putting my, my mechanic skills to good use because I buy these things off Kijiji, right? I don't like buying them new for kids, right? Because they outgrow them so fast, as you know, right? So, right. They're like, hey, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, I just, yeah, don't take interest in cycling anymore or you know they yeah so I, I buy these things off kijiji and this is every one of his bikes i buy off of kijiji and usually from some guy who doesn't know how to maintain bikes so they sell it cheap right then i i still have to spend a lot of money to overhaul the whole damn bike <laughs> but i know how to do all right, that get a, get a quality bike yeah yeah well here it's like a specialized hot rock and the guy didn't know how to maintain it so that the hubs are like super stiff and you know chain hasn't been changed and wheels are not true and stuff like that so he thinks it's in bad shape i'm like i look at him like okay if i spend i'll probably have to spend at least a hundred dollars in parts and bearings and other stuff to to refit this entire bike but i can do it all myself as long as i take some time then i get a i, I get a and as long as the can you know the aesthetic condition condition of the bike is pretty good and everything else is pretty solid then yeah i can uh i can fix up this bike and get my uh, kid a, a pretty hot um you know a little mountain bike Ah, so yeah, because I mean, I think that's great because you used to do a lot of volunteering locally at recycles where you learned a lot of those mechanicals, right? Because you used to spend a lot of time there. I did, and you? that's where, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I used to volunteer as a volunteer mechanic, and then I was like a shop assistant or something like that for a little while. So I, I really cut my trade or or whatever the expression is. Uh, you know, learning how to do all sorts of types of maintenance on bikes. I, I mean, I can do a lot of stuff, um, but I don't touch a lot of the more, I guess, modern advanced components, you know? So yeah. like some of that stuff is like, okay, no, if, if I screw this up, it's like, you know, $500 right there or something like that. Right. So I, that, that kind of thing, I take to the shop, <laughs> yeah, but for most uh, like, you know, kind of lower end or, you know, kids bikes and, and my commuting commuter bike, I can do all the maintenance and, and, uh, and, and major work on it. Um, but, but yeah, and, and another way I'm applying that skill is that we have this program here. I don't know if they have something similar in, in Ottawa. I think it is national. It's called You Can Ride Too. And I haven't volunteered for, there for a little while, uh, mostly because of COVID. But what they do is that they assemble these really custom bikes with custom uh, proprietary components for mostly kids who have uh, physical disabilities. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, so they, they make them into trikes and things yes, like that? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But as you know, as, as kids get bigger, you can't ride training wheels because they're too heavy and you're way too top heavy, right? No, but like, I know that you can, with a different hub or something, you can make a Absolutely. standard road bike into a three wheeler. That's right. Like for an adult. Yeah, that, that's right. And and that's one of them. And we, we've seen that during the Paralympics, they, they have those, right? <laughs> so, but those are very expensive. 
you know, because you yeah. need, they need to be a good quality so they can support the weight. And right. the, the, the kids, they are of different levels of disability. Some of them, they could barely like, you know, walk on their own. And so you need something more uh, like a, a recumbent type of setting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they need help even, you know, pedal assisting and stuff like that, you know? So it's, it, it's a very, I think it's very gratifying because you see these parents, they come in and, and um, their, their kid can otherwise not ride a normal bike you know, with, with the other kids in the neighborhood. And so these, these bikes, they, they're all on, on loan, right? So we don't, yeah. they're not given away, but every year they, we, they are fixed up and customized, like essentially fitted to the kid and they take it and they take it for the summer right. and then they return it in the fall and then we do uh -huh. a check and then we do maintenance yeah. and, you know, fix it up. And then, you know, the cycle goes, uh, turns around over again. And then in the winter, then there's another group of parents that come with their kid and fit them to bikes. And then they pick it up in the summer and then we use it again. So, so, oh no, go ahead. Yeah. So it's, uh, like I mentioned, it's very gratifying because it just, just seeing how happy the parents and the kids are like, yeah, yeah, I have a bike. I can, I can ride a bike. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know, I, I take it for granted that, you know, able-bodied people like, you know, myself, Maria and, and our son, Luca, you know, like, it's just like, okay, we just have to teach how to ride a bike. But for kids with these kinds of disabilities, they can't do that in the normal sense. So to be able to customize a solution for them and at very little cost, if, if any cost, and I don't know how, what the program, uh, it, it, the details of the program in that respect, that they can ride bikes and enjoy it uh, like, you know, like normal or, you know, like, let's not say normal, like, like uh, able-bodied people like, like ourselves is uh, very, very cool to see. I like that. So at the end of the summer, when they're finished with their bike and they, they bring it back, is there an option to buy a bike for their child or do they come back the next year and rent it again? Like after the winter? I think it's the latter, Sylvia. I, I can't say for sure. I, I don't take care of those. Uh, I don't know much about the details of the program there. But uh, what I can do is I can find the website and uh, so you can shoot it in the That'd show notes. Cool. And if anyone's curious, they can look it up. And I, like I said, I, I believe this is a Canada-wide thing. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I can't, uh, I, my answer is I, I don't quite know. I think it is the latter. They don't sell the bikes, uh, but it's rather this, this thing of just going, uh, it's a, it's about loaning the bike for the season for the child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I I kind of wonder if um maybe if they're trikes that they have an agreement or or like maybe a partnership with Cat Trike that has those trikes and then you know it's it's like is the kid enjoying it? Is the family wrapped around? the bike like is it worth buying because they're not cheap obviously getting um those tricycles or those recumbent bikes um they're like absolutely. a couple thousand dollars yeah yeah no, absolutely you know what the best thing about it is as well uh, along with what i mentioned you know doing that kind of volunteering is that i'm just a guy with a wrench there and you know, uh -huh. no, one, no one has to ask me about law no one has to ask uh -huh. me about you know anything business I'm just a mm -hmm. guy who fixes bikes there. I don't have to talk about any of that. And I, and it is, it is in a way I'm being, I'm contributing to society. Uh, but, and I don't have to talk about any of that other stuff just for a couple hours or a few hours or whatever my shift would be. So uh, I, 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 for some reason, I just think, think that is just a fun thing just to escape where you're still doing good. I like it. I think, and, and I know that, you know, it's, it's cool that you found something like that in Edmonton, like when you left Ottawa, because it's, it's also, like you said, very gratifying to, and I some often, sometimes I'm like, man, I know it's like a time thing. I'm like, can I find something like that, that I could help with? Cause not only are you helping and it would be in a capacity. Cause I think about you when, uh, at recycles, I'm like, what? what? Cause I'd like to learn more about mechanics. Like I know, I know like basic stuff and, but I don't know the more advanced, like the truing and like, you know, working on the derailers and things like that. Like I can get by with like, meh, general maintenance, maybe it more advanced. 
Um, but it's always nice to learn more. And I'm sure there's, I just kind of wonder if, if maybe I should look into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should just time do it. that because it's like carving time out, right? Like, you know, um, I have to remove something and put that in. You know, it's like. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I can't pack it all in, right? I was just talking to my friend about that. It's like if you add something, you have to extract something else. Absolutely. You know? uh, I, I agree. And and you know, and sometimes there we have more time than we think cuz uh how much time do we spend watching Netflix uh every week? You know? I don't watch TV at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> Maybe that's, I scroll TikTok a little long. But probably not enough to be like in like some people in in net yeah like it, <laughs> me going into Netflix is like I get overwhelmed with like trying to pick something to watch and so I don't watch anything. But <laughs> we do watch Survivor. I know that's not on Netflix, but the new season just started, so that's like nice. my husband's and I's date night, sitting on the couch watching <laughs> Survivor. <laughs> but hey, that's my carved out time. But Hey, that, that's yeah. perfectly fine. Like we, uh, oh, how often do you volunteer? Right. I haven't volunteered for a while. And um, I think I mentioned, yeah, mainly because of COVID, right. It's like, because most of these, they're, they're indoors and enclosed spaces. Right. So, but uh, um, I have been thinking about, you know, going back. So usually for, you can ride too. It was, you, you have certain volunteer shifts in the spring and in the fall, you know, for, for the oh, intakes and, and for, you know, fitting. Um, or not intakes, I mean, for, for the returns and then for fittings and then, uh, mm -hmm. and then, and then you know, yeah, something like that. So that's usually how it was. Um, I haven't done it in probably more than a year now, but I am think, always thinking about going back. Um, it's just one of those things that it's, it's just really a weird, weird world right now, weird time yeah. where it's like, Jesus, uh, we, I'm fully vaccinated. Um, but, uh, you know, right now, Alberta is like, in a really, really bad place. <laughs> Poor, we're, we're, we're like the Florida of the North. And uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, really? Yeah. It's like, it's like okay, uh, you know, I, I've been concerned about traveling uh, for, for a while. And then I look at, well, geez, I think I'm in more danger in Alberta than anywhere else. So maybe I should just get, get the hell out of here. <laughs> but Time to go on a road trip. Yeah. <laughs> Let's set that aside for now. Um, that's normally how it would be. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping to be back um, perhaps in the spring or maybe in, in the winter when uh, there's a, a call for you know, to do maintenance on the bikes that have been returned. It's unfortunate that a lot of places like that have suffered, yes. you know, like, and then the trickle down effect of the people that it helped and families and things like that. But yeah, yeah it is a strange time for sure. So where can we find you if, if somebody needs any uh, legal services? Uh, you can find me <laughs> on my website at redframelaw.com. That's uh, the, the main uh, for, for the, the business side. Uh, the, the podcast, you can just go to either redframelaw.com or legalcutpro.com. Uh, that'll both, uh, the first will lead you to the website. The second will lead is a redirect to the podcast page on the website. And you can find me on LinkedIn uh, as well. Just uh, search Oops, Gregory yeah. Tang. No more Twitter, eh? <laughs> well, I still am on. I still lurk. But, you know, Twitter is such a, <laughs> a dumpster fire of uh, just negativity and people yelling at each other. It used to be, okay, I was an early adopter of Twitter, okay? And, and you, you know, of course, you mentioned that you used to follow. Well, that's when I used to follow you back then. So, so way back when, when Twitter was really young. And the analogy I, I really liked was that Twitter used to be this really cool bar, this real cool bar, a local bar that cool people like me and you used to go to, right? And you have interesting conversations, you meet cool people. And then that bar started to change. It started to get louder. It started to expand, it started to get bigger. People, more obnoxious jerks started to go into the bar where now the conversation is drowned out by noise and bad noise too. There is still value to Twitter. I, 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 I'm not slamming the platform that much, but it's not what it used to be. It was not, it's not that cool bar it used Maybe to be. Your crowd needs to change, Greg. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you need to remove yeah. some of your Twitter or some of the people that are following or yeah. are following you and then populate it with some more mindful 
you know, <laughs> followers. I'm <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> just teasing, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't get on there much. I just do some advertising, but, um, but I was always like, Oh, see what's going on. And, you know, I guess it's just the certain people that I follow that I see and mm-hmm. that's it. it's all cycling actually. So it's not that negative. I don't know. Who are you following? <laughs> oh, it runs a gamut, but uh, yeah. It, it, yeah. It takes, it'll take another uh, hour podcast recording to explain that stuff. So Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you can find him. Uh, we'll be adding the links and all the show notes. And uh, so do you want to end us with uh, some words, more words of wisdom before we... No words of wisdom, but I, I just like to say thank you, Sylvie, for reaching out. It's really good to see you. And thank you for putting out the, the podcast. And thank you for your time to accommodate me for this. Oh, well, I super appreciate it. I was really happy to uh, to connect. Because, eh? like, I was like, oh, I wonder what Greg's up to. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things. Um, you know, you haven't seen someone. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, he would be awesome on the podcast because A, he's a cyclist, B, he's a lawyer, and A, and C, he's super cool. And so, and uh, I love that we are able to connect and bring your story to the podcast. And uh, so I just want to thank all of our listeners. And uh, just to make sure if you haven't uh, started following the podcast, to follow the podcast. Like I always say, you never know who I'm going to bring on. Um, I have a very like array of network here that I uh, am accessing and then I'll access Greg's network and (laughs) I bring in some of his friends. But thank you very much, everyone, and have yourself an amazing day. And uh, don't forget to ride your bike, right? Ride your bike. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.